Welcome to the C.S. Joseph podcast. I'm your host, C.S. Joseph, naturally. And this is... Dang. Season 26, episode 8. Eight rules for loving ENFPs. I hope you all enjoyed. Woof, woof. Surprise, the uh, dogs right next to me here haven't just exploded in laughter or barking. You know what I'm saying? Either way, it's pretty fascinating. Welcome to my uh, nighttime walk while I am doing this particular lecture. Gosh, that was loud and distracting. Shouldn't have that anymore. Haven't to deal with that anymore, at least. So, uh, last episode we talked about eight rules for loving ENTPs, and it was a pretty raw episode, I'll admit. Excuse me, I just, uh, a little fresh off my dinner right now. But, uh, anyway, uh, we got pretty, uh, we got pretty raw. We got pretty obvious, uh, with how, you know, somebody... You know the, the rules, how someone should be loving ENTPs, etc. But ENFPs, it, you might think that hey, you know, they got half the functions with ENTPs. All the same rules apply to them. I mean, yeah, sort of, kind of, maybe, but not really as much as one would think. Not really. So ENFPs are. <laughs> Kind of, well, they're very complex. One of the reasons why they're so complex is because they are literally the most abstract of all the types. They are the absolute most open-minded, I'd say, of the 16 types. And that basically means that it carries a lot of complication. You just, and not only that, they have their deadly sins of wrath and lust, you know, that come from being part of the soul temple. And they're very focused on, you know, being a person of good character or finding people of good character. Whereas an ENTP is more focused on passion. So the rules for loving ENFPs end up changing and adjusting to kind of fit the, either the narrative or the imperative, I guess is a more accurate word, the imperative of their temple, which is the soul temple. And the main deadly sin they have is lust, and their secondary deadly sin is wrath. It's one of the reasons why my ENFP uh, mentor, Mr. Jeff Fisher, could uh, end up leaving some little kid's dad beaten up bloody on the floor, uh, you know, shaking him down for money after he didn't pay up his debt for a drug deal that they did previously. And that ends up being, you know, a big issue. It's always interesting how ENFPs often get involved with those kinds of shakedowns. And he definitely shook that guy down, but he didn't get any money out of it. One of the additional crimes, you know, that was just kind of added to him and his character, basically, and it's just, it's so interesting because you see people who are part of the soul temple 
and they are all about character, but when it comes down to it, they have the worst character of all the types. It's just so fascinating to me. And then they oscillate between best and worst character. It's so fascinating. But then again, you look at an ENTP like myself, who's part of the Heart Temple, and the Heart Temple's all about passion, right? And, and by the way, if you guys don't know about the temples, we have some episodes on it, uh, which I'm gonna be reshooting those to go into larger depth pretty soon. And those are available uh, in the members area for those of you that lost your links to season 18. So csjoseph.life forward slash members, join Journeyman so you can become a member and get access to that private content. When we uh, release our own version of the Enneagram, which I believe is going to happen in April, I hope, um, when we release our own version of it, uh, it won't be called a neogram, that's for sure. It's going to be more spokes of it added, etc. But um, when it comes around, it's going to be very temple-focused. And you're going to have to know the temples in order to navigate your way on that. So more on that later. But ENFPs, as much as I hate to admit it, they really are special snowflakes. They really are given that they're the most abstract of all the types, they're triple affiliative, they're also triple movement, which is insane if you think about it. They're always moving so quickly. It's hard to keep them down. They're so insanely open-minded. They have all these abstract concepts organized and, and they actually follow themes. And thank you, Chris, for uh, making me aware of how thematic they are and how themes are actually what guides the te child thinking of an enfp which is kind of it because if you think about it like rationale kind of works from a thematic point of view and not a logical or factual pointed point of view and it's nice to understand that theme and at any given point in time within an enfp's life they're actually living by themes they really are living by themes. And if you're not going to fit that particular theme or have the ability to change between themes, it's kind of like uh, they have this eternal cosplay in their head and you, their lover, has to get used to putting on a new costume all the time, <laughs> then you're kind of gonna get fallen behind. And that's a huge, huge issue. But what's really interesting about that is that Templar types, Templars are oftentimes willing to go so far as to roleplay whatever theme that the ENFP is actually in the mood to do. And, you know, good on them. That's, it's really, it's really important. So yeah, roleplay when it comes to ENFP sexual relationships is a really big deal. It just makes TE Child happy. It makes SI inferior happy because of the variety that comes from role play as a result. Now, there are a few ENFPs watching this right now, and they're like, no, that's not me. Well, that's because you've been too scared with your SI inferior to try something new, and it doesn't actually have anything to do with your life experience. Maybe you should just, you know, I don't know, stop being a pussy and actually try it out. 
you might actually have fun in your life. You might actually enjoy your life, especially your sexuality. So stop putting limits on yourself, NI Nemesis. You might want to like stop worrying and despairing about your own future and stop always going for the vanilla, right? I thought you guys were the most abstractly all the types. I thought you were the most open-minded, you know? I get that you're triple affiliative, but get over the affiliative. Aren't you supposed to be affiliative for the sake of becoming pragmatic or understanding pragmatism? I mean, that's, that's the whole point behind what it is to be an ENFP after all, so why not? Also, like, I get that people are frustrated they can't really see me on this walk, but get over it. Like, the audio is more important than the video. I mean, who wants to be, like, seeing my talking head all the time? So, and remember, this is a podcast first, YouTube channel second, okay? So, for those of you out there who disagree with that or were not aware, now you know. And that's just how I roll. It's all about my SI inferior convenience, and the reality of the situation is I will continue to put my convenience over everybody else's convenience. Otherwise, I'm not even going to show up, because that's what my SI inferior needs. So I would ask that this audience would help continue meet that need as I continue to cast vision for all of you so you guys can have better lives. I think it's a very nice trade. You know, that's my ESFP demon talking with its interest-based awareness. That's what you guys are getting out of it. And this is what I need to do. This is what I need to get out of it in order for me to keep continuing. So, convenience when content creation is important. So, anyway, you got to understand, like, from an ENFP point of view... They really are this special snowflake and they are extremely integral to the fabric of society itself and basically when it comes to fostering ideas and inserting the freshest newest ideas into people in order to cause cultural change and it's because of just how open-minded they are and it's due to that open-mindedness that they are so open-minded to all things sexual. You will not find anyone more open-minded than an ENFP when it comes to sexuality. I think this is why their golden pair INFJs love them so much because ENFPs aren't gonna limit them. They're not gonna take away their choice. They're going to allow their lover to have absolute maximum freedom in the bedroom to do whatever they want to the ENFP. And it's kind of interesting because the NFJ shadow, the ENFP, has some kind of benevolence about their sexuality when they share themselves with other people. And that's something that just has to be known, but it's also something that needs to be respected, nurtured, and taken care of. Because an ENFP, if an ENFP is worth their salt, they're going to state what their boundaries are. And, you know, INFJs, for example, and I'm just using them as an example, this also applies to ISTPs because they have the most optimistic sexuality or the most optimistic sexual compatibility with an ENFP. That communicating those boundaries is really important, especially to those two types, 
because they're so afraid of failure and they're so afraid of, you know, God help them rejection. But the ENFP, it's not going to reject them. The ENFP, even most of all, is not going to pressure them. SE Demon just doesn't care about pressuring other people, especially in the bedroom. Unless, of course, the ENFP actually feels pressured. And what SE Inferior or SE Parent is really going to be pressuring their partner sexually? They really don't. And even if it seems like they are, they're going to back off if challenged. So there's never really a concern or worry about ENFPs rejecting their lovers. So first things first, you could call this rule zero. Don't fear rejection when it comes to the ENFP. Also, we'll talk a little bit about this when we get to rule two, but you gotta be aware of preference. ENFPs are extremely picky and they have a lot of preferences, but that's also a strength because they always end up taking on new preferences all the time. It's like a deck of cards. And because of how novel ENFPs are, they really just have this novelty, this, this novelty energy in the bedroom that any of their lovers can take advantage of. And they themselves can even foster that novelty. That's why you always see ENFPs at, for example, Renaissance fairs or cosplay situations, because that's what they do. That's their form of role play. And any possible role out there is just available to them, especially when it comes to the bedroom. But then at the same time, they allow those roles to also be explored by their partners and they give their partners the full freedom to do so. And that's just not very common out there. And this is one of the reasons why I believe, and it's not necessarily a fact, but it's just a belief of mine, as to why ENFPs, especially ENFP men, end up having some of the widest variety of lovers in their life because of that right there, because of the special snowflake that they are. Granted, I would not recommend this for women, but for ENFP men, this is one of the reasons why their deadly sin is the deadly sin of lust. And it's really important that you at least understand why the deadly sin of lust exists. It's really because they are trying to be the avatar of sexual variety or the avatar of sexual novelty. They're always trying to bring something different to the table. They're always trying to try something new. And that's one of the best parts about them in the bedroom. And you don't really have to worry about anything. And some days, you know, there might be a box with boundaries and other days they'll completely remove the boundaries from you. You'd be like, whoa, what the hell just happened? But the difference is at the end of the day to you, their lover, they're still going to tell you that, hey, guess what? You're not going to make me uncomfortable. You're not, you don't make me feel unsafe. I'm not gonna take your choice away. I'm not going to limit you.
And that's just something that their lovers really need to put their faith into. And I know that their NJ lovers, especially, really struggle putting their faith into anything. To the point where they may put their faith into one thing and only one thing in their whole life. Well, NJs, this is one thing that you can put faith into when it comes to your life and your relationship. This is one thing that you can definitely bank on. You can put faith into your ENFP's desire to avoid rejecting you because they don't actually want to reject you in any way, shape, or form. They really don't. While they want to craft the theme and potentially the role play and get it started, they are looking to you to act out the part. And it's super important. It's like the bedroom, or at least the bed is a stage. And they'll stage it up for you. And then you just become the actor or the actress at that moment and take on that role. That's all it is. That's literally how it works. And it becomes something beautiful because it's like a new play every day, a new play every week. Or maybe it's a new play and you rehearse it and you rehearse it for three or four days in a row and then, oh, another play after that. You see what I'm saying? That's just kind of how it is. SI Inferior is trying to cope with life that it just truly needs that novelty and that variety. So understanding this as a foundation, we can now go into the eight rules because the eight rules, it's a lot easier to understand where the ENFP is coming from when you understand how their sexuality works at a fundamental level. So, first things first. Yeah, sure, they got any hero, right? Rule one should be, you know, always make your ENFP feel wanted, right? It's not necessarily that. Because of the influence of their other functions, and given the fact that they are a philosopher type, philosopher types are a bit more selfish, a bit more potentially entitled, uh, a bit more, I guess, solipsistic, especially the women, because they are aware of how they feel and what they value over everyone else, and they are aware of what they are experiencing, what makes them comfortable, what makes them feel safe above everyone else. This is not necessarily a bad thing because there are types of people out there that exist who seek that kind of behavior out. And they, are, and they end up, you know, having as a fanatical loyalty to the ENFP's sexual cult of personality, basically. Uh, and as much as the loyalty, the fanatic loyalty that comes from the ENFP towards their lovers. So rule number one is slightly different than the rule for the ENFP, very slightly different. And that rule basically is make sure that you make the ENFP feel chosen, chosen above all others, chosen. 
because it's not enough to just make them feel wanted. It's kind of easy to do that for an ENFP or an ENTP because it's just TI parent. It's just like, oh yeah, you want me, we're good, done. It's pretty simple with an ENTP, but it's actually more complicated with an ENFP because their FI parent is still there. And it's like, hey, you know, that's nice that you want me, but what causes you to choose me above others? Because the FI parent is influencing the any hero slightly. And it's just like, okay, that's nice that, you know, we're having sex right now. But, like, you chose to come to my stage. You chose to come to my theater. You chose to be the actor, the actress. Uh, you chose to take on this role. But why did you choose me over everybody else? See, ENTPs, we don't really do that, per se. There is not that additional mental check because being wanted and desired passionately is way different from being chosen being chosen means there's like an extra layer of unique specialness there and the enfp really can't live life especially even remotely consider being sexual with somebody unless they feel special it's about being special which is rule two, technically. Always make your ENFP feel special. I actually have an anecdote to back that up. Really, um, really good friend of mine. His name's Jason. We used to call him Fatal. He was uh, his gamer tag. I still remember his gamer tag. Dragon Boy 033. He has this whole brand around that probably find him on instagram or something great enfp fellow i got into some trouble with him a few times oh my god but you know what i got i gotta talk him up because this guy like he got a girl pregnant one time and then like she she moved to oregon and had the baby in oregon or something like that and he was driving from like mount vernon washington or something like that or stanwood washington or just really northern Washington area, drove, drove all the way down to Salem, for example. Driving down to Salem every single weekend to see his little boy. His little boy was just everything to him. And I don't remember his son's type. I'm trying to remember what type of son would be. I want to say ENFJ what i want to say but i think i might be wrong his son might actually be an infj but he just he could not live with himself knowing that his son was down there and he drove he, he, he did everything in his power to make sure that he'd see his son eventually he learned the legal system and ended up getting custody of his son much later and his son was living with him and I've, I've always just been astounded by this man's character. Yeah, he's got depraved, depravity issues. Yeah, there's a couple of deals that went down or went south um, that him and I were involved with back in like 2012, well, 2010 through 2014, basically, when I was in my northern Washington stomping grounds. And uh, we hung out a lot getting all sorts of hijinks but later um and his name's jason fantastic fellow 
But later, uh, Jason, Jason and I, it's actually funny. One of my very, very first coaching clients I ever had, ever. And I think this was in, oh gosh, 2013. One of my very, very first ones. Um, it was this girl that he was dating. He considered marrying her. He absolutely loved her. But he could tell something was wrong in their relationship. And 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 he actually described it very uh, perfectly. But he asked me to type her. And she ended up being an ENFJ. So they had a silver pair. And he said, you know, there's just something really wrong with this relationship. And I can't really put my finger on it. He kept on telling me over and over and over. And he's begging me, Chase, please help me figure out this relationship. Help me figure out what's going on here. And I'm like, all right, well, so I I interviewed her and she explained to me some of the issues she was having with him. But none of those issues actually had any merit or held any water. Basically, it really just boiled down to hypergamy. She was having a hard time being attracted to him because he was beefing up his beta traits a little too much. And, but honestly, between you and me, he's actually a pretty alpha dude in a lot of ways. He he gained such personal strength and such personal integrity. And it's to the point where he's like, wow, the whole world kind of just owes me right now. Yeah, they kind of do, actually. <laughs> given the amount of things that he has given. He's one of those super grateful ENFPs that is able to control his depravity and not get to a point where, you know, he's potentially destroying other people's lives or taking advantage of them. He really goes out of his way to give back. So him giving back, I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. He's, he's one of the greatest people I've ever met. Love that guy. So, but he sat down with me one time at Alfie's Pizza. We were at a birthday party for his son. And I I just showed up uh, with my wife and son in those days. This is after we were fresh out of homelessness. My son was probably two or just about to turn two. And uh, he's now 10. And then he sat down with me. He's like, look, man, I just had this huge problem. with I finally figured out what it is. I'm like, okay, lay it on me. He's like, look at her. Look at her right now. What is she doing right now? And I'm like, she's working the crowd. Everyone at this birthday party. She's talking to everybody, having a conversation with all of them. And he's like, exactly. Why isn't she putting me above everybody else? Why is she caring about everyone and putting me at the same exact level of specialness as every person in this room? You couldn't even tell that we're lovers. You couldn't even tell that we're boyfriend and girlfriend. She, I, I give her a lot of attention, but she doesn't even regard me at all. She doesn't, and it's all of a sudden it says Effie Critic, like she's actually not even making me a priority. Really? After all this effort and all this work that I do for this woman, really? That's ridiculous. Let me tell you folks, it was ridiculous. They broke up shortly thereafter. It was an extremely painful ordeal. You know what's so funny about that? After they broke up, she married some rando beta guy. 
And I heard later she's been miserable ever since. I don't know if that's true, but people talk. It's just, it's just, it was just complete ridiculousness how that went down. Oh my gosh, she thought I was such a raving lunatic talking about MBTI and cognitive functions and all that to her, even all the way since back then. But whatever, I mean, let uh, history be the judge, right? So, rule number two, make sure that you are going out of your way to make the ENFP feel special, but not just special like anyone, like you would anyone. You gotta make them feel special above everyone else. And you have to prove to that FI parent concretely that they are important to you. It's that simple. You have to make them important. And like I said, you know, it's not enough to just want an ENFP. It's really not enough. They're not like ENTPs where if you just want them or INTPs, if you just want them, they'll drop their pants for you. ENFPs, a little bit different. They want to be chosen. They want to be chosen because they are important to you, right? So please make sure you understand that because if they stop feeling important and if, especially if they stop feeling chosen by you, well, they done. They done so. They moving on. It's especially... This is especially bad with ENFP men because ENFP men, because they're very interest-based, very interest-based, that they will just dump a chick immediately the second they no longer feel important because ENFP men are so aware of what sexual options that they have at all times and they store their options in their heads at all times and they're all just acutely aware of every woman they could screw at any given time. You don't think when they see a woman out in public, they're not making note in their head of the cashier working at the grocery store or the lady at the gas station? They are. They can't help it. It's just a natural mechanism SI inferiors do. We store every single face, name, age, location, all of that for potential lovers on the fly. And they do it even way better than I do. They have them all categorized in their head of their TE child. So you got to make for sure that they feel chosen and they are important. Okay, first two rules, right? Otherwise, it'll blow in your face and you will lose them. They won't even be loyal to you anymore. Nope, not remotely. You know, especially the ENFP men. That's like a huge, 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 huge problem. You know, the ENFP women, sometimes they can take hits in that area because if they're really submissive and they're really feminine and not putting their career above their men and they understand that if they are in a relationship with a man that they are in his life and he is not in her life and if they're able to humble themselves in that way, yeah, they can take a couple of hits here and there and it will take them longer to finally just move on. I don't know, like there's a lot of ENFPs in this audience and you knew, you know who you are when it comes to all the pain and anguish that you have suffered with your folks' relationships. And, but man, you women have taken some huge hits. It's impressive, the fortitude that you ENFP women have to be able to take those hits. It's very impressive. It's also impressive, you know, witnessing the final moment when you realize, okay, my boundaries are being violated, I am done. And then all of a sudden the INFJ shadow comes out 
with its fiery sword of truth and just starts cutting things down, including severing the relationship. It's definitely a fantastic sight to see when it happens. How then all of a sudden they're leveraging their self-respect unlike any way they have previously. It's, it's utterly fantastic. So, beyond that, the next rule. So, oh, here, here's another thing. As part of rule two, part of making them feel important, I got to say this. Don't forget that FI is the investment function. And they need to see some, like, return on investment with you. They really need to see that. This is kind of why Templars always have this perspective of, well, I need something to show for my effort at the end of the day. I need to have something concrete or physical that my lover likes about me or likes that I did at the end of the day. Well, guess what? ENFPs kind of expect that, you know, because they are using their FI and they're going out of their way to invest in you. It is the investment function. So what return on investment are they getting with their introverted feeling? What are you providing them? That's the thing. This is one of the reasons why Templars have such pressure to keep performing is because the existence of ENFPs. So keep that in mind as well. Rule three, always treat them with respect. Treat them with regard. But here's a way that you can actually do it. Speak highly about them, but to other people, especially behind their back. There's one thing I know is that you cannot hide from an ENP. We'll always figure out any secret you have, especially ENFPs. They will always figure it out. And those ENFPs, they'll always hear the bad stuff you say and they'll always hear the good stuff you say. And there's nothing quite like hearing good things about them from other people because they find out that you're saying great things about them to other people behind their back. Because naturally, they think people are talking about them all the time, saying good or saying bad things because they take their reputation so seriously. Obviously, as part of rule three, don't harm their reputation. Do your best to support it. But the thing is, is that you need to take an active role. You have to talk good things to other people about your ENFP that your ENFP knows so that those other people report back to the ENFP and tell them, tell your ENFP the good things that you said. You do that, you got their loyalty for life. Absolutely, you have that for life. Here's the other thing. To your child, it's all about their opinion. As part of rule three, you need to be willing to listen to their diatribe long opinions and challenge those opinions gently and basically be like, well, why or how, or just ask questions because it helps them think. They already walk around like knowing that they have a hard time doing logic and living life by themes alone with their extra thinking child, but they really need a sounding board because they won't be able to explain what they're thinking without that sounding board. And they really need that. It helps develop a little bit of closeness with them is just having that sounding board. Now, granted, you know, it's part of rule two, making them feel important. Sometimes you're just gonna have to listen to the ENFP completely purge and barf out all of their stored 
negativity and all their problems all in one instant. They don't expect you to solve any of those problems. They just want to be heard in that moment. I don't care if it's a man or a woman ENFP. It definitely applies to both, right? So keep that in mind. Keep that stored up in your hat, little feather in your cap, as part of observing rule, th rule two, it's very important. Now rule four, it's pretty obvious, you know, it's like, what do you do about SI inferior? Recognize that it's going to be a baby. Recognize that it's gonna cry and it's gonna need a diaper change. Just like what I said with ENTPs, don't make it uncomfortable. Don't make it feel unsafe. Don't give them any reason to be disloyal to you or dump you on your head because you've been violating the first three rules, right? So as long as you're following the first three rules, you really won't have that much of a problem with the inferior function or rule four. But always seek to make them feel comfortable or safe. It's kind of simpler than what you would do for an ENTP because ENFPs can actually be pretty simple in that way. And also like SI inferior rule four is one of the reasons why Almost every ENFP out there says physical touch is their love language, but it's the physical touch that they are being touched. So definitely use touch a lot in your relationship with them because they find you touching them being very endearing. So use that as part of observance of rule number four. I would say I find touch, you know, as an ENTP for my assigned period to also be enduring but endearing, but not as much as an ENFP would. Because for me, if I don't already feel valued or listened to or wanted or desired, especially passionately wanted and desired to the point where there's extreme enthusiasm in the bedroom for me, then I don't really care if I'm being touched at all. Not unless those previous things are being met. You see what I'm saying? But with an ENFP, touch can really actually heal a lot of problems. Just like my ENFP uncle, he's always talked about how anytime any woman would ever start cutting his hair, he'd be sleeping with her as soon as her shift was over. You know, he'd have sexual contact with her immediately following when she got off work. He just, he just couldn't resist. So use physical touch to your advantage when observing rule four, because it can really bring them this air of calmness. It can help bring Zen in their life. Little tiny massages, even just the rubbing of fingers on skin, any form of skin-to-skin -skin contact or just touch thereof, you know, it, it really can help them calm down. And that's what they need. They need a life of calm. They need that zen, like any philosopher needs zen. But they're already so zany and they're already so fast that touch really is what helps ground them to the earth. It helps them ground them in reality and brings them back to reality. And then it will help them calm down and chill out. Rule five, yeah, share your hopes and dreams with your ENFP, kind of like you would do with an ENTP. But the difference is you kind of want to do it in a way where it's not necessarily all about your hopes and your dreams individually. It's about a shared hope or a shared dream because they're triple affiliative. They wanna be on a team and talk about your dream that includes them. Maybe even talk about their dream that they have 
and how it includes you. But talk about that and how you're working towards that in your relationship with them. They find that really enduring and it takes the despair away. Whereas the ENTP is a little bit more simple with their nemesis function or rule five. It's more of like, hey, you know, like literally just tell me what you want. This guy parent wants to know. Whereas, and you know, independence and kind of seems like the ENTP is running a separate life from their lover. But the reality of the situation, that's not the case. Whereas with the ENFP, everything is so intertangled. Everything is so entwined. Wow, it's the other dogs this time. And because of that, ooh, shooting star. That was cool. Barky, barky. So yeah, just talk about the vision of your relationship with your ENFP and how they are included, or at least how you are included in their vision. But be open to them to make adjustments to that vision. I, I don't know how many times I've seen or heard INFJs that they get so uptight. Even STPs do this too. Like ISTPs do it, ESTPs really do it. They get so uptight about plans that the ENFP would make. And then all of a sudden the ENFP would change that plan. And sometimes the ENFP may not tell their STP or NFJ lover, their Templar lover about that plan change. Seriously, like don't get caught up in that. Now, granted the ESTP is upset about that the most because they're a control type, they're all about outcome and having that outcome plan is super important. Whereas an INFJ and an ISTP, their progression, they're more movement oriented, that's okay. It's okay for them to not uh, do that. It's okay for plans to change because they're just on a journey with the ENFP. The thing is the ENFP needs to make sure that that vision they have for their relationship is ultimately a journey. But they'll do that naturally because they're triple progression anyway, triple movement. So it should work out over time. Just make sure that you as their lover don't make it about outcomes because then the ENFPs can end up feeling controlled. And this is another way that the ESTP super ego will eventually come out and devour you if you're not careful. To the point of physical violence, which can happen. So, rule, rule six, <laughs> don't talk about what you deserve. Don't play God. Like, seriously, I don't know what it is about the people who are sexually compatible with ENFPs and playing God, especially INFJs, their TI child God complex. But they, but, you know, as soon as an FE user, and FE users are the ones who start talking about who deserves what, that is the fastest way to piss off an ENFP. Start talking about who deserves what. Because from their point of view, no one has the right to start claiming who deserves what. Which is funny because oftentimes, which is a hypocrisy of an ENFP, the ENFPs often believe they themselves deserve a lot. And deserve more over other people. So if you're going to talk to them about who deserves what... Make sure that you're making it really about them and help them understand what they themselves deserve and that they need to be responsible with what they think or what they believe that they deserve with their FI parent. And that's fine. That's, that's fine to do that. 
But as soon as you start judging other people and what they deserve or judging yourself with how with what you deserve, that's the fastest way to piss them off. One of the fastest ways, at least. I mean, really, the fastest ways is just ignore their inferior function and don't observe rule four. But the thing is, though, is that, like, you really got to understand they don't care about what other people value. And they really, really, at the end of the day, really actually know who deserves what. They really do. Thing is, though, is usually that deck, that deservation deck is stacked in their favor. And that's when you can call them out on it. But for the most part, don't play God. Don't play God. And don't tell them, you know, like, here's no way. Don't self-deprecate. Because when you self-deprecate around an ENFP, you are, in effect, playing God. When you self-deprecate, you are, in effect, stating what you think you deserve. And the ENFP is not going to respect that. Because it's like, when the ENFP is around you, they're losing status from people in their life. They're like, wow, if I bring you out in public, you're just going to be an embarrassment with how self-deprecating you are. I can't have that. I can't let that happen. That's got to stop. So don't play God. And remember, you, even if you're not being prideful and thinking you deserve more, you're still playing God if you think you deserve less. And they're going to call you out for that. Don't do that. You need to properly value yourself. Now, what you do instead is always ask the ENFP for feedback in terms of where you measure up. That way, if there are any problems, you can fix them. And that way, you don't have to self-deprecate at all. But if you're self-deprecating, it's actually because a lack of communication on your part to convey your feelings of worthlessness or uselessness, or you're not good enough, you don't measure up, but you didn't even do them the justice of asking, that's on you, okay? That's not on them. Now, if you're really annoying them, they're going to tell you where you, are, where you stand, and they're going to give you that feedback and that blowback, whether you like it or not. But it's your responsibility as their lover to be proactive. Being proactive is also another way that you can observe rule one. It continues to make them feel chosen above other people when you yourself are proactive, okay? Rule seven. They really don't know what they think. And that's okay. Why does everyone tell ENFPs how stupid they are? A lot of ENFPs out there are absolutely brilliant. Chris Taylor is absolutely brilliant. Ty Lopez, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Kevin Hart, absolutely brilliant. Conor McGregor, he's brilliant. Okay, you gotta keep going. These people are brilliant. Okay, I get that they have TI Trickster. I get that they have a hard time finishing their thoughts. But there's no reason to make them feel stupid because as long as you continue to encourage them to read books and just get information and get factoids, guess what? They'll just keep being more brilliant over time. And just encourage them to follow the themes. Follow the themes. It's like the yellow brick road with their TE child. And that little Dorothy TE child will finally realize it had the power all along to go home. Which is ultimately where the ENFP wants to be, is home. 
hopefully you, their lover, is that home. So when you're criticizing them, make sure you preface what you say. Hey, I don't think you're stupid. I just think you don't understand. Preface, add preface. It's really important to add preface for TI Trickster. Also, don't expect them to come up with things on the fly unless you're going to be okay with them providing bullshit. Like, and this is without being a sounding board. You need to be a sounding board for their thoughts. It's another aspect of rule seven. Always be the sounding board. Always. It's super critical. They can't think without thinking aloud. And it gets worse if they don't have anyone to think aloud with. Because if they don't have anyone to think aloud with, it's as if they're not even thinking at all. And then they just feel stupid. Then they just feel bad about themselves. Then they lose all motivation. It's your job to get in there and fix that. Or at least help them stave against that type of behavior. So keep that in Keep that in mind. It's a really important thing to realize. And the final rule, rule eight. Don't make everything about you. That's really the simplest thing I could say. Good thing Templars, at least the people who are supposedly compatible, sexually compatible with ENFPs, Make it all about everyone else, and they're very naturally external. But that's not to say that an INFJ, for example, or an ISTP, for example, isn't entitled. In last night's hypocrisy of an ISTP episode, <laughs> we talk about ISTP entitlement. That's a, that is a thing, okay? So, but really, rule eight, as simple and as direct as I could put it, it's not about you. Because the second you make it about you, that's when your ENFP starts hating you. They go out of their way for you, giving you special treatment, getting you into the coolest clubs, the coolest areas. They go out of their way to make you feel like a VIP along with them because they treat themselves like a VIP and they bring you along for that VIP ride. But as soon as you start making it about you, they're no longer the VIP and then you're taking away their VIP status and making it all yours. How is that gonna like, how are they not going to hate you for that? I mean, you're just bringing it on yourself then. That's like one of the most stupidest things you could ever do. Like, you gotta understand the ENFP in your life, they are a VIP and you need to treat them that way. You know, don't make it about you. You know, unless there's like something though, and you finally like, oh crap, I really actually have this need. Help me figure it out. Help me think about it. Okay, yeah, sure. Ask them their opinion. But again, in asking their opinion, or you asking them about what will happen if you do it, like talking about the consequences, you're still factoring them in and you're not making decisions without them. Stop making decisions without factoring in the ENFP. Stop making everything about you. They're tired of hearing about you all the time. They have enough crap in their head to deal with from their own life. They don't need additional burden, okay? That's rule eight. Follow it and you'll be really successful, I promise. Anyway, folks, 
Thanks for uh, watching this lecture. That's the end of this lecture. Uh, if you found this lecture useful, helpful, educational, enlightening, please subscribe to the channel. Please leave a like and a comment. I'd really appreciate that. I hope you guys are enjoying the Eight Rules for Love series. Don't forget, uh, we have our new relationships course that uh, should start being available for sale on February 1st. Uh, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to have a lot of videos in it, at least 60-some videos, uh, training you how to protect your relationship against failure. It's going to be pretty fantastic. It's going to have a lot of these similar strategies that we have in Eight Rules for Love, but very heavily expanded. And everything from human nurture to human nature explored within the contents of this course. So we're going to get ready to announce it. Uh, it's coming. It's around the corner. And I hope you folks enjoy it when you have it. We have a lot of resources added to it. Companion Guide Second Edition is going to be in it. That's going to be amazing. Uh, imagine having data sheets on all the cognitive functions with their proper definitions, mature and immature variants added. It's going to be pretty awesome. And uh, <laughs> there's so, so much more that's only going to be available in that course and nowhere else. So I hope you guys uh, will love it when it comes out. I know you will. And uh, so, yeah, please uh, just be aware it's around the corner and uh, it should be available for sale on February 1st for pre-order. And I think it's going to be releasing on the 12th, just before Valentine's Day, provided everything goes right, of course. So anyway, folks, thanks for watching and I'll see you guys tonight. You stole